Just two weeks ago, my son was telling me a story. In the process of telling me a story, he couldn't remember the name of one of his teammates in the Spencerville Avenue Baseball League. And he said, you know, Daddy, the, the black boy. And I immediately, when I heard him say that, I immediately kind of got stern. I said, don't say that. And he looked at me with this, this funny look. You know that moment when your kids, when you kind of scold them, they don't really know why they're being scolded at all? And he was trying to figure out what he had done, why, why I was saying don't say that. I said, don't say that. And he asked me why. And at first I used, you know, that, that, that classic parent line. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, because I said so. You guys ever? My kids are not satisfied with that. And then I just said, never mind, never mind, never mind. And he went on with his telling me a story, forgot about it. It was the first time I'd ever heard one of my kids identify another person based on race or the color of their skin. And it hurt my heart. Not because, in fact, it is not a descriptor, but because I just always in my heart have desired for him to see people through one lens and one lens only, just as people, nothing else. I realized, though, that, that, that this moment was less about him. Of course, he still does just see people as people. It could have just as easily if he said, you know, the kid that wears the red shirt. Of course, they all wear red shirts, so he couldn't say that. Or he said, could have said maybe the kid that plays third base, but he chose this other descriptor. And he still sees people just as people. And I realized at this moment that, it was, that my reaction was less about him and more about me and more about our society. I know that seeing those differences, that seeing those differences, what, when, he, when he referred to it as, you know, that, that black boy, I know that seeing those differences has caused, is causing, and will continue to cause tension within our world. And if you haven't felt the tension this week, then you have been living under a rock, or maybe you've been on vacation out of the country. But I believe seeing those differences, at least in part, this week, seeing the diversities, at least in part this week, resulted in the killing of two men at the hands of law enforcement. And I know that people want to argue with that, and everyone always wants to argue with that. And I don't, I'm not saying that I believe all police are out to get black people, and the majority of black people that I know are not saying that. But there is enough evidence, there is enough evidence for our brothers and sisters to be genuinely nervous when dealing with police officers in some situations. And simply because you and I may not understand that feeling, or maybe even you don't agree with them feeling that way, that doesn't give us the right to devalue or invalidate or negate their feelings. I also believe, in fact, we know from the statements that the shooter made that seeing those differences in race 
As the shooter in Dallas stated himself, I want to kill white people, particularly white police officers, that seeing those differences resulted in the deaths of five police officers. And as I think about this past week, and as I was going through this past week, I was angry. I was angry because as my kid was in another part of the room and I was listening to the news and he heard from my listening and he came and he asked me, why did those police shoot that men, shoot those men? And it makes me angry because my kids will be raised to judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin, and yet they will receive contradictory messages from our world. I can raise them to judge people by the content of their character, but they will receive contradictory, contradictory messages from the world. And the church is not immune. The church is not immune to delivering these contradictory messages. If you don't believe me, then just go to the North American Division Facebook page. And if you have the stomach for it, if you have the stomach for it and the self-discipline not to become overly angry, although maybe we should be overly angry, if you read the statement there by the North American Division and then you, if you have the stomach for it, you can read the comments. And you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that our church is immune from delivering contradictory messages about race. You cannot tell me this. If you don't believe me, then why do we have a black conference that we never interact with? I'm not talking about in regards to why they exist. That can be a different conversation for people with a higher pay grade than me. I'm talking about little to no interaction between the conferences, engagement with, our, with the white and the regional conferences. Why do we have a church less than two miles down the road with a New Hampshire address just like we have that, that we almost never partner with, that we never engage with in a particular and intentional way? It makes me angry that the very aspect of another person that is causing hate and tension in our world and the very thing that even separates so many within our churches is the very thing that we need in order to truly be the body of Christ. Diversity. Differences. The Jerusalem church in the, in the book of Acts is held up as the ideal church, right? Acts chapter two. I've, I've, I've heard Hundreds, maybe even thousands of sermons on Acts chapter 2. It is one of my absolute favorite chapters in the entire Bible, and I'm sure you know that because you've heard me preach about church growth and evangelism so many times you're probably sick of it, although I'm going to keep doing it until we all embrace it fully. But I've read dozens of books and articles and blogs on, on, on Acts chapter 2. And we see in Acts chapter 2 that the church, that they were a praying church and, and they were a Bible studying church and they were a church that socialized well together and they, they ate food with one another and they were a miracle working church. There was miracles taking place in their midst. And, and, and we see a church that was, that was a generous church, making sure that all who were in need 
All who were in need were cared for. They were a growing church. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. And it is a, a, a wonderful chapter. And I've been studying these things so long. I can't believe that I missed one of the greatest descriptors of the ideal church that has ever existed on this earth. I didn't see it until I wrote this last night. And yes, I did write my sermon last night. I don't like to do that. I actually wrote my sermon on Wednesday. But after the things that took place in our nation this week, I just felt compelled that something else needed to be said. My heart is literally broken over what's happening in our world right now. All the hatred over our differences and our different viewpoints. Hatred over color and ethnicity and religion and sexuality and money and nationality and education and politics. I just felt this was something to be addressed. But what I missed by staring so long at Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 is the very important truth about the church that we are not doing a good enough job at modeling. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together. This was all the, the people from every nation under heaven came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing the disciples speak in his or her own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 9. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Cyrene, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then I want you to skip down to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Who is, who is the they? The they is, is the, the, the devout men from every nation under heaven that were dwelling in Jerusalem. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. There are people right now in our nation, whether you agree or disagree, that do not believe that the promise is for them. And as the church, we must do a better job of letting them know that the promise, not just of this nation, but the promise of the gospel is equal for all people. 
The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. One of the greatest truths of the most perfect church that has ever existed on this church, the church that we always hold up as the ideal model for us to to follow after, the praying church, the Bible-studying church, the miracle-working church, the generous church, the fellowshipping church. This was a church made up of all colors and cultures and ethnicities, people that were different from one another, and I would dare say probably even a few that had a different political interests as well. The Bible said, those dwelling in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun. Brothers and sisters, there is anger in our nation right now, and there should be. And there should be anger in our hearts as well. I'm angry. I'm angry on behalf of that four-year-old girl who was in the car when Philando Castillo died. And she, as a four-year-old girl, had to be put in a situation in which she felt the need to say to her mother, it's going to be okay, Mommy. I'm here. Mommy, it's okay. I'm here. I have a three-year-old that's going to be four in two months. Can't imagine him ever going through that. Well, that man that she just saw shot four times laid on the ground dying. I'm angry that she had to experience that. I'm angry on behalf of the 15-year-old son of Alton Sterling that probably this night and many nights going forward cries himself to sleep because he doesn't get to see his dad again. My dad was 16 years old when, he, when his dad disappeared. And my dad said for every night, for months, he would cry himself to sleep. I'm angry on behalf of the wife of Brent Thompson who only got two weeks with her husband before he was killed. I'm angry because I have friends that are scared of law enforcement in this country due to the color of their skin. I'm angry. And I think it's time that the church be a little more angry about some of these things. But our anger should not be towards one another, but it should be towards the greatest root of this issue. You know, one of the reasons there is a communion service is because the heart of God was disturbed. I would even say the heart of God was angry. He was angry, so angry by, by, by sin's decimation of humanity that he made a decision to come down and deal with the sin problem himself directly. Our sin problem Our problem killed Jesus. But instead of Jesus being angry at us, he focused his anger on where it needed to be focused, on the sin that was hurting, that was breaking, that was dividing, that was destroying his people. Brothers and sisters, we need to be angry But then we need to take that anger and direct it not at one another, but direct it at the true source. 
Sin is still decimating many and is still dividing our world. We, the church, must not allow sin to divide us. We must unite in our differences against the injustices and the tragedies of sin, not against one another. We should not, in the midst of this tragedy this past week, be debating with one another about if it was the rhetoric of Obama or if it was the rhetoric of Trump that caused this. That is foolishness and that is sinful in and of itself. We should be recognizing that there is a sin issue. We should not be debating one another. We should be coming together with one another and loving each other the way that God called us to. We must unite in our differences against the injustices and the travesties of sin. We need to remember Jesus' own words. These were the words that came to my mind as I woke my wife up on Thursday and I said, we need to pray for our nation right now. And the disciples came to Jesus and they saw the weeds and they saw the, the destruction of the field and they wondered, who did this? And I remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 28. He said, it was an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this, folks. That tension you feel with someone of another race, that tension you feel in those conversations, that tension that exists within our political world right now, that tension that you feel when you talk to someone about guns who has a gun and you don't have a gun, that tension that you feel when, when you think that, you know, we don't understand why, why, why can't they just put their hands up? That tension that you feel when you have those conversations. Folks, stop trying to rationalize it with the things of the world. An enemy has done this, and he's dividing us by us fighting about this nonsense. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to be fully united, like the Acts chapter 2 church. To be fully united in our differences. I concur with the call to action of the North American Division. And I would challenge us as a Spencerville church to respond to that call. I don't like the comments that are below that call. I don't like the folk, I like the folk. I don't like what they're saying. But I agree with the call that now it is time for us to listen to one another. But not only listen, but to hear one another as well. Some of you men may be familiar with this idea. I don't know if you've ever heard your wife say, are you listening to me? And you say, yes. And then they say, but are you hearing me? Or is that just me? But it's time for us not just to listen, but us to hear. And as best as we can, to understand the cry of those living in fear. And there is fear actually on both sides. There's fear in the white community as well. That's why this nationalism, that's why this populism is rising up. But the church must not embrace that. We must not embrace that. The church is to be united in diversity. And if we don't welcome the diversity into our nation, then we will never welcome it into our church and then we will never welcome it into our hearts. We must listen, we must hear, we must understand the cry of those living in fear on both sides. Now is the time 
for us to link arms with people that are different than us and to say, we're not going to stand for this inequality any longer, to demonstrate that love is stronger than hate. Now is the time for our local congregations, for our medical institutions, for our our educational institutions to engage and to think together, to work together, to strengthen one another, to build one another up, to have in common and bring hope and healing to our nation. I want to affirm my brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Brinklow because for the last couple of months, even before any of this happened, they've been reaching out to us and saying, how can we be better partners to you? And God bless them for being better than us and doing this. And we're going to say yes to their requests. We're going to say yes to their partnerships. Because that's the way the church started in Acts chapter 2. People from every nation under heaven saying, we accept Jesus. And the church grew. Folks, today we are participating in the communion service. And as we participate in this communion service, let us do so with the spirit of Jesus, who had the right enemy in mind, who had the right anger in mind, who was focused on what was causing the turmoil in his midst. Let us do it in the spirit of Jesus, who who, even though Judas, his betrayer, was in the room, he still got down and washed Judas' feet. Even though Peter, the one who would deny him, was in the room, he still got down and washed Peter's feet. Even though the disciples that would scatter were in the room, he still got down and washed every one of their feet. Why? Because though they were doing that to him, he refused to be angry at them. He kept the right focus in mind. My mission is to overcome sin. Folks, I can't die for anybody's sin, but we can unite. We can unite to overcome the tension in this world. The church must lead the way on this. As we go to communion service, as we go to wash one another's feet, let us do so in the spirit of Jesus, recognizing that though we are all different and though we may have many different views and political and social and even religious views, even within this room, though we are different by race and by ethnicity and by language, let us remember that if we stand under the banner of Jesus Christ, we have one common enemy, and that is sin. And we're letting the devil do an awfully good job of having it divide us at this time when we should be coming together in harmony. Let us pray. Jesus, as we leave for the foot washing now or as some may remain in here, I pray, Jesus, that you'll give us your spirit. Lord, may our hearts be broken over the tragedy, the loss of life, not just in our nation, but the 300 that died in Baghdad, the 60 that died in Istanbul, the one little girl that was stabbed to death in the West Bank because she was the wrong religion. Lord, may our hearts break over these things. May our hearts break over the 
the 59 people that have been killed in the last 30 days in the city of Chicago, the 47 people that have been killed in the last 30 days in the city of Baltimore. May our hearts break as we see sin destroying us. And may we decide we're not gonna argue anymore, but we're gonna unite against our common enemy. An enemy has done this. Lord, let us be the church of Acts 2, united in our diversity, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.